White Brothers, the podcast all about Penn State football. Conversation and commentary from a fan perspective. I'm Tom Gaffman. And I'm Andy Gaffman. And we are the The Blue Blue and and White White Brothers. Brothers. Two brothers. Two takes. One team. Penn State Rose Bowl champions. Here we are. The day we never thought we'd see, third time's the charm, (laughs) we won a Rose Bowl in our lifetime that I actually got to witness, Andy. I actually got to witness it. Incredible. By by the way, we won a Rose Bowl in our lifetime, but I didn't get to witness the first one, (laughs) you know, so. Yeah, right, right, that you were present for. (laughs) Yeah, and by the way, present. the 93 or the 94 one was so long ago. It just feels like it was a different era. Well, technically it was the 95 Rose Bowl. It was the 94, yeah, you know, I know it gets a little hard. But I'm just to re- saying like realize that, that but was, dude, dude, I was a teenager was, then. <laughs> yeah. I'm, and by the way, I remember the game. I remember the season very well, all that kind of stuff. But you know, here we are. It's 2022, the 100th anniversary of the first Rose Bowl game played in Pasadena in the Rose Bowl, where it is currently. I didn't know we kicked off that. We didn't just kick off the Rose Bowl game in that stadium. We kicked up being the first game ever in that stadium. It's weird, right? Did you know that? Not until the broadcast, man. I did not know that. I That's wild. Well, you know, here we are three days later. And like for me, I'm still excited about it. I'm still thrilled about it and as we've been preparing for this episode it's like i i can't run out i I don't i haven't run out of things to talk about and we're we're not going to be able to talk about it all but like before we get into all that no hold on before we get into that i just like i know for you like it was a major effort to get there like i thought about going at one point and i quickly said i don't think that's going to work for me and as it turns out it was a it was a an effort to get the four of you guys there why don't you just share a little bit about that and then tell us about your experience being there? Well, so uh, yeah, I got three hours of sleep the night before I I went to uh, the, the Rose Bowl. I, I flew Sounds perfect. Me, from Philly. Yeah, flew from Philly, uh, quick connection in Las Vegas, and got to got to Pasadena. Uh, my initial flight was delayed 90 minutes, so I thought I was going to miss my connecting flight. By the way, when I got to Vegas for my connecting flight, there was no time to do anything. They luckily um, parked right next to the, the outgoing flight because they knew there were a bunch of Rose Bowl people on, on the flight from Pennsylvania. So they parked right next to the gate that the next flight was on. And I just walked out of the one gate, took a right, and walked right onto the, right onto the plane from the next gate. So it, it was just for me, that was like a little nerve wracking. But two of the other guys that came in, you know, we had it was me, uh, Joel Bettner, Cody McKibben, Phil Donigan, and Phil's little brother, Pat. And we're all from Lewisburg and we all grew up together. Uh, Nate, not Pat so much, but, you know, little brother of Phil. But the four of us, Joel, Cody, Phil, me, we all grew up uh, as Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, you know, played football together at Lewisburg uh, High School. Uh, and we've maintained our friendship by way of Penn State football. And Cody's like my best friend since like I was five years old, lived around the corner from mom and dad here uh, in Lewisburg, which is where I'm recording from. And um, so we're just like diehard Penn State fans. And it was just so cool to be able to, to go witness it all together. But Joel flew from Jackson and he got weather uh, from Jackson, Wyoming into Denver. Um, and he his he missed his other his connecting flight, had to sleep on the the floor of the terminal. Um, and you know, we didn't see it was a plan to like, you know, hang out the night before the game on, on the, the night of the first, all flying out the, the day of the first. And Joel uh he, he got to the stadium 20 minutes before kickoff with the way his flights worked out. And Pat's uh Pat Phil uh Phil's little brother, Pat, he was uh violently ill on the second leg of his flights. He was, you know, had 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 number two and number three if you know what that is coming out oh the mouth gosh. um <laughs> on the flight literally projectile vomiting into bags uh, on oh the my flight gosh we had to get him his own hotel room so you know he didn't contaminate <laughs> us with whatever he got my and he goodness. showed up right before you know kickoff as well um and and some dudes missed their flight on the way home cody had to sleep in atlanta uh it, it was just a debacle just you know you know before and after the game but the the thing was we were just together for the game and it was the joel put it you know hey yeah you know uh, it may have been like low viewership numbers by by like um you know the analytic standpoint uh, and how many people saw viewed the game saw the game but as far as us watching the game memories of a lifetime um with with our you know some of our closest friends oldest friends and it was just something we'll never forget yeah um 
it wasn't the best weather there either. But didn't like, even care. Didn't matter. The, the rain in the second half didn't even matter a little bit at all. I mean, uh, it's funny because it was like the first time since I think '97 that it's rained for the Rose Bowl, and only the second time since 1955. Yeah. So it was hey, like you got to be there for that little unique thing. So and, lucky and, you. And, and another unique <laughs> part of the game for us, uh, you know, we we had uh, like we were like row twenty uh, on like the you know 10, 15 yard line kind of thing. We loved our seats; they were great. It was perfect. We weren't in the Penn State section, um, which was like the north uh, the northwest side of the stadium. Um, and, and the Utah fans overwhelmed the stadium. Like they were, there was yeah, at that least was obvious, sixty even to seventy percent Utah fans, and the red was. You know, it, it was dominant as you could see. Yeah, the from, TV from, broadcast was like, "Holy cow, where's all the Penn State fans?" But we were in the peppered, we were in the red and white peppered section, kind of like on the on the uh, southwest side of the stadium. Um, and and what the weird part of this was, the section we were in was kind of like a like a neutral, um, not just not just red and white, but also but literally neutral people, like people that are from Pasadena that maybe do this every year. They weren't wearing any colors that were of either team they were just wearing their regular clothes to the game because they walked, if you will yeah and and so <laughs> but joel me cody phil and pat we were screaming like banshees the entire game <laughs> and all these neutral people were just like looking at us from all sides <laughs> like wondering what is wrong with these people and we're just <laughs> rabid penn state fans screaming on i mean top of our lungs on every uh, Penn State defensive snap. We were the first one screaming, you know, with 35 seconds on the play clock still to go. And even the Penn State fans around us, even the Utah fans around us were looking back like, holy crap, we dominated our section. <laughs> we got the Penn State fan base going. We had the Utah fan base wondering, you know, are we are, are like, we're, it's seriously like almost terrifying people around us just with our, 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 our screams. And, and I, I'm just getting my voice back today. Uh, and <laughs> it's I, like I, the I really berserker can't. section of the uh, <laughs> Penn state fan base, right? Yeah. Yeah. I really can't <laughs> highlight way, that reminds me. Um, we got to get the blue and white brother business cards. So like you can be, Hey, if you like this, check out my podcast. <laughs> right. That's true. We should. Um, and it should have those little like, uh, QR codes that you just oh, yeah. highlight it and it, and it like takes you to like our, our 100%. website or wh whatever it does, you know, 100%. who cares? I really can't highlight enough, like how awesome the experience was just for us personally. Um, obviously the, the, the win was a big, big, big part of that. Uh, what a joy to watch. And we'll, we'll obviously talk about everything that made that win awesome um but to to, to experience that with my friends um and it kind of like made it like all the more sweet that like that you know the the elements in the game didn't per, didn't, didn't necessarily go our way the getting there and leaving there didn't necessarily go away but the game itself would just outshine all of that by such a large degree and the win itself outshined all that by such a large degree that like you know truly memories of a lifetime i'm so glad i went went the last Rose Bowl game in that the last traditional Rose Bowl game in that stadium and of course on the 100 year anniversary of uh, the original time we you know a game was played uh, in that stadium. Well, um, like you said, we're going to get to that game. Um, we also have some news and notes for you today. Um, uh, talk about some of the other bowl games that were played over the course of the weekend. Um, we're going to do something a little bit different today in that, um, we've received some feedback. We've been talking, maybe it'd be nice to have one hour episodes. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to have two one hour episodes uh, rather than one two-hour episode. Um, two hour so plus. this episode is going to be news and notes, <laughs> and the bulk of it will be the Rose Bowl recap. And then we're going to drop another episode, um, actually record it right in this same session, but drop it um, shortly after. And that's going to have a mailbag, and it will also have a, a way too early look ahead at the 2023 season on the heels of the conclusion of this season yeah, with the Rose Bowl win. What does it all mean? And the idea is that, like, if we like the way this goes, if anyone uh, out there has, uh, you know, objections to how this two-episode version goes, I the object. idea is that let us know. But uh, but we are hoping that this is the way it's going to go moving forward into next season as well. And we'll, we're exploring. We're, we're, we're experimenting. We're trying it out. <laughs> <laughs> and you are the guinea pigs. <laughs> anyway, um, with that, let's go ahead and um, uh, get right to our news and notes. News and notes. 
Well, you know, last week I was uh, complaining about there not being any good bowl games on up till last weekend. And um, turns out there were some decent bowl games on this weekend worth watching and uh, with some interesting teams. We're not going to talk about all of the ones that happened over the course of the weekend, but we have a couple that we'd like to talk about in addition to the semifinal results. And so um, we're going to try it for one last time, our 10 second takes and see if Tom can actually (laughs) give us... (laughs) <laughs> give us a concise <laughs> recap after I give you the headline. And here's your first one. Number 21, Notre Dame overcomes two pick sixes to come back and win the Gator Bowl versus number 19, South Carolina, as Spencer Rattler goes down and Notre Dame wins a 45 to 38 victory. Didn't have a dog in the fight. It was interesting to see the uh, original season starter, you know, come back and win in this game. Whereas, like a former Heisman Trophy candidate, uh, couldn't couldn't get it done. Uh, Shane Beamer, last year's Mayo dumping uh, recipient, uh, got Mayo dumped on him again. In you know, <laughs> in you know, in, hypothetically, or, or what, am I, what am I trying to say? Whatever, you, you get it. Like, speaking, you could have dumped some more mayonnaise on this guy at the end of this game. If you, <laughs> that's what it probably felt like for that team. Um, but great game, great win for Notre Dame. That's a big deal for them. Um, disappointing season, and that certainly helps springboard them into next year. All right, next one. Uh, number six, Tennessee outclasses number seven, Clemson, getting a dominant Orange Bowl win, Orange Bowl in more ways than one, uh, with a 31 to 14 victory. Well, being orange, being the theme, it was more blue for Clemson as in a heartbreaker <laughs> uh, because Clemson, I think, had all the juice going into this game. They had their incumbent, true freshman um, you know, quarterback coming to this game. They thought it was going to be a springboard for him and that team. Clemson defense didn't really have much to to do. Joe Milton, their backup quarterback, and and you know comes in for Hendon Hooker. He gets the job done against a strong Clemson defense. Uh, and Joe Milton, a lot of Penn State fans remember him. He was a Michigan quarterback for Harbaugh for a couple seasons, and uh, they look strong. Tennessee looks legit. They look like they're going to be sticking around next year as a, a top ten team. Uh, they're not just a one and done. I, I think uh, so. We'll see which direction Clemson's going going into next year. But uh, big win for Tennessee. Uh, you know, obviously, I think one of the better games in the top ten uh, this season. Yeah, just briefly mentioning, uh, I did watch that game. I was impressed with Joe Milton. I remember yeah. him looking very bad with John Harbaugh, and he looked great. Exactly. All right, I'm sticking with the New Year's Six Bowls. Uh, number five, Alabama flexes their muscles against K State, taming the Wildcats forty-five to twenty in a Sugar Bowl route. I don't think anybody thought that, uh, you know, the the top two um, draft prospects for Bama were going to play in this game. That being um, Will Anderson, the defensive end, and former Heisman Trophy winner Bryce Young, the quarterback for Alabama. Once they announced they were going to come and play this game, I think that's it was a foregone conclusion that Alabama was going to romp over a much less talented K-State team. I don't think there was any chance that K-State was going to, you know, they kept it a little close at the beginning, but it's Bama. And I think that the fact that those guys are coming back, they were ready to make a statement for Alabama. So, you know, it's tough luck, K-State. Better luck next year. All right. Moving on to the uh, last of the New Year's six bowls. And this was my personal favorite of the weekends. Uh, the Trojans were swamped by the green wave as Tulane shocked USC with a 46-45 Cotton Bowl comeback victory. Yeah, I mean, this game stole the thunder from Penn State's Rose Bowl, I think, uh, p- being played right beforehand. I think everybody was tuning into that game to see if Tulane had what it t- uh, took to, to play against a, you know, a blue blood, so to speak. Um, you know, Tulane used to be in the SEC. I don't know if you realize that. And they've kind of just been in, like, purgatory of of like conference you know alignment uh so is Tulane you know building some sort of uh, you know t- big time team moving forward uh and and with conference re- realignment who knows what happens in the future not to say they're going to be going back to the SEC but this team played like they were they had something to play for USC on offense yeah they're great but that defense just where where are they they have no. They don't want to tackle anybody. It's and of course on special. Basically, their special teams blundered. 
to, to fumble it inside the one yard line right when Tulane needed to, to have a break to win that game in the final four minutes. It, it was a shocker. Um, and, you know, USC going into the offseason, they got a lot of questions they got to answer. They're likely going to fire their defensive coordinator. Um, and I'm really, really interested to see what, what becomes of this USC defense, you know, as they're pretend, you know, as they're going to be making the transition to the Big Ten. You know, I, I, I wanted USC to lose this game because I don't need them being a juggernaut coming into the Big Ten. Um, um, so a really intriguing, um, you know, game for me and intriguing in the, in the grand scheme of what happens with them in the big 10, but super happy for Tulane. Uh, they completed the, uh, biggest turnaround in college football history. Pretty amazing. All right. Before we hop to the semifinal results, uh, two more lesser bowls that had big 10 participants, um, Iowa, Shuts out Kentucky in the Music City Bowl, winning 21 nothing on the strength of two defensive touchdowns. Well, uh, I mean, that's vintage <laughs> Iowa football for you right there. They outscored their offense I, probably for like the fourth time this season, if not more. Um, I'm just pulling that number out of my butt. But, uh, you know, without Will Levis, the former Penn State quarterback, I, that Kentucky team probably wasn't going to do much. I think Kentucky's also firing their offensive coordinator. They, 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 their, their team just, you know, kind of wilted this year after being a top 10 team. Um, what, what do you expect? Iowa's a great defense, uh, no matter how you slice it. And Kentucky without, you know, their star, you know, couldn't muster anything. A shutout in a bowl game always, you know, against an SEC team is something to, to you know, write home about. Um, so, yeah, uh, not a very interesting game to watch unless you're a diehard Iowa fan. <laughs> and uh, of the non-semifinals, uh, last and certainly least, number 17 LSU embarrasses unranked Purdue in the Citrus Bowl, derailing the shorthanded Boilermakers 63-7. to Andy, it's a good thing that Penn State beat Utah because, you know, the, the biggest stages, the biggest games, and namely the CFP, and we'll talk about those, but, um, you know, we carried the the banner for for the Big Ten, and you know if we didn't win that game, it doesn't look good for the Big Ten, at least on the grand you know national scale. So you know this this LSU thumping of Purdue, you know it, Drew Brees led Purdue. Wow, I mean it's just like, and I know by the way Purdue was without almost all of their biggest names opting out, including their quarterback Aiden O'Connell, so including you, you their coach. You could, yeah, and their coach left for uh, Louisville, um, and they hired the defensive coordinator from Illinois, and they had Drew Brees there to help. Um, I, I, I don't, I mean, you don't, you didn't expect them to win, but a sixty-three to seven drubbing is not what I think. What and the 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 line Vegas line for this game, I'm sure, was not you know fifty whatever four points or fifty-six points for this game. I guarantee you. So super uh super disappointing for them. But you know, they got they gotta figure out what's going on with their their new team as they move forward. They they got a lot of rebuilding to do over there for Purdue. Well we do want to get to the Rose Bowl, but we, we have to touch on the semifinal results before we do. Um Michigan and Ohio State, both of them lost. Although I will say the games were competitive um, different character of games. And just, just briefly get your take on each of them. Here's the first one. Um, Michigan bungles their previously perfect season with an error ridden Fiesta bowl, eventually losing 51 to 45 to TCU as the horn frog Cinderella season takes them to the CFP final. Andy, what did I, what did I want for the CFP games? Um, last, last episode, what did I say I wanted from these games? You wanted both teams to lose in embarrassing fashion. <laughs> now, in in a manner of speaking, Michigan did lose in an embarrassing fashion. <laughs> oh, as far as just, very embarrassing. I mean, listen, it was a close game, uh, obviously, but like I, you know, <laughs> should not no have one, been. No one on the Michigan, you know, in the no one in the Michigan fan base is sitting here thinking, "Oh, we played great." Like, you know, we have a lot to be thankful for here. You know, like when Penn State lost the Rose Bowl in 2017, yes, it was a heartbreaker, but it wasn't embarrassing in any way other than maybe the Trace McSorley interception in the end. Um, but, you know, we played one of the greatest bowl games in history you know, at that point in time. And it was like, all right, you know, a springboard, you know, game going into next year. Like, I don't know if Michigan's feeling that way about you know, coming out of the semifinals the second year in a row, you know, and by the way, now Jim Harbaugh hasn't won six straight postseason games, six straight postseason games. Right. Yikes. So, so, and by the way, too, JJ McCarthy, 
<laughs> I, he, he did bad. bring them back in. He did bring them back in the game. So you get to give him credit there. But he threw two pick sixes. Two, two pick, pick sixes. sixes. And, and and yes, TCU plays defense, but like I don't, they're not a great defense. Like he gift wrapped those two two balls to them, and he said, "Hey, you can here's a free fourteen points." So I, I I gotta I gotta disagree with you there. I was very impressed with TCU's defense. They were aggressive. They were tough. I did not expect that from them. And our experience of Michigan is that they are a very tough team on both sides of the ball. So the fact that TCU hung with them says something. If I'm Georgia, any Michigan scored uh, 45 points. If I'm Georgia, if I'm Georgia, I'm watching out. Right. But you know, in addition to the 14 points that, that, Michigan just handed over to them with the pick sixes. Michigan also left at least 10 points on the board with, um, you know, going for it on the, on the goal line and missing field oh, yeah. goals and things like fumbling that. Like, it, fumbling on the goal line too. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was it like, f- f- you know, multiple scoring drives were, were missed. And then they gave, you know, it was, it was Michigan's errors more than uh, TCU, um, TCU's own play that that won this game. TCU impressed me. They did what they needed to do to to fend off the the Michigan comeback. Uh, I was so thrilled the way this game turned out. It was phenomenal. You know, a lot of Michigan fans are super salty, of course, about some of the ref ref calls, uh, namely the 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 touchdown that was called back to the half yard line. Yeah, that call could have gone either way. I saw various angles that showed he was short. I showed various angles that showed that he he was in, but. Again, it helps if you don't fumble the, the very next play. Right. So you know, it's a that's a shoot, it's a gimme of a touchdown after that. Do you should have been on that the half yard line. made irrelevant. That call should have been made irrelevant. The other thing is at the very end of the game, JJ in the center were not on the same page. He fumbled it. And of course, there was a targeting call that was not called, which eh, that that was a kind of a um How was that uh, not called, by the way? I don't know. I mean, I do I do feel for Michigan fans in that way, but not in the way that, you know. <laughs> I really care about, you know, very glad to see Michigan lose tired of hardball. Is he going to the NFL? Maybe we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, so the other one, uh, here's your headline. Georgia outduels Ohio state in the peach bowl as the Buckeyes miss a game winning field goal with time expiring to send the Buckeyes back home and the Bulldogs back to the championship game. I mean, let's put it this way. I did. I honestly did not think Ohio State was going to keep this game close. I thought it was going to be a forty-something to twenty-something game. Um, credit where credits due. C.J. Stroud played a great game. Um, Ryan Day did bring their best to the table. Uh, they were winning that game for a little while, and Weren't I thought they up that by Ohio two State, touchdowns at one point. I, yeah, they, they, yeah. I, I was impressed. You know, it, it was the other way around for Michigan. Michigan never led in that game at all. Ohio State controlled this game by and large until the end of the game. So, you know, credit where credit's due. Uh, I'm not saying I'm happy Georgia won, but I'm glad Ohio State didn't. Now, <laughs> it does pose the, the question, like, is does Ryan Day redeem himself after a solid showing in this game? After, you know, everyone's saying, fire Ryan Day after the, the Michigan deflating loss for two years in a row? Or, you know, is it is it still hot seat type? I mean, that's silly to say hot seat type, but to Ohio State fans, there are, you know, you know, like national championship game or bust with the way that they recruit, the way that they they expect um, things to go every year. How do you, how are they feeling about Ryan Day and and what does it mean uh, for Ohio State season? What 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 are your thoughts on that, Andy? Yeah, uh, I mean, it never feels good to lose your final two games of the season. <laughs> you know, right. yeah. Uh, and uh, this game was in their hands. Like they, they should have won it. They couldn't close it out. And by the way, the big knock last year was that their defense was inadequate. Uh, their defense couldn't yeah. close the deal. So, I, you know, if I'm an Ohio State fan, I'm not feeling thankful just to have been in a close game. You know. Yeah, their defense is their defense did not make the strides this year under uh, Jim Knowles, uh, the, the fresh hire off of uh, out of Oklahoma State. They did not make take the take the leaps that everybody assumed that they were gonna have a championship caliber defense. So I I don't know if they're gonna be going back to the drawing board per se, but they got questions to answer this offseason. Yeah, and all of that really recedes into the background in light of the Rose Bowl, which is what we're really here to talk about, and. Um, 
you know, both of those Big Ten foes of ours, Big Ten East rivals, they're going home with a sour taste in their mouth, and we are going home with the sweet taste of victory. We're going home with the smell of roses draped over our team, and it is a wonderful thing. And in a lot of ways, this victory, in my mind, isn't just a, a, a nice capstone to this season, but it's really coming full circle in a lot of ways. Uh, you already mentioned, like, this is the last traditional Rose Bowl. Well, guess what? Penn State played in the first Rose Bowl on this site. We lost that game in 2023. We won this game. And um, not only that, but this is James Franklin's uh, second trip to the Rose Bowl. This time, he got that win after you know, this really difficult, um, you know, series of seasons that he's had. And then finally, Sean Clifford, who started off his 2019 season with a New Year's six victory in the Cotton Bowl, had two really terrible years. By the way, that was an 11 win season. Then he went 11 and 11 over two years. And now another 11 win season in a New Year's six bowl. And this one, the Rose against a power five opponent. Uh, just a lot of really, really satisfying things that come out of, uh, you know, what I would say, especially in the second half, a dominant, very, very impressive win in the Rose Bowl. The, the, the similarities to 2019 are certainly there, uh, especially when you think about the totality of his career, uh, bookending, you know, 11 and 2 uh, years uh, with New Year's Six performances. I will say, Andy, that uh, that that cotton bowl performance for Sean definitely was not one of more one of his more strong performances of his career and so definitely great to see him um put forth you know his best foot maybe of his whole career in this game i think it actually was his uh best best qb rating uh, of all the games that he ever played at penn state and and we're going to dive more into that stuff it's interesting i think you're the one who mentioned that statistic and uh, you know to me that confirms something that i just saw with my own eye like he was efficient the entire game he was making great passes like there was i think one incompletion that was based on a drop by a receiver a a and then the other incompletions i thought were just like they were good incompletions you know yeah. I, I, basically every throw he made was was on target <sighs> there was, was no throw that was like holy crap sean what are you doing there was none exactly. of that. They were, Not a I single mean, one. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, you know, we, you can you can think whatever you want about Sean, but like you cannot take anything away from that performance. You literally can. You have to give him the credit that, that where credit is due. Um, it it was a beautiful thing to see. And, and it was I the best say, game of his career. And like, especially for as much as we have been pretty critical of Clifford these last couple of years. And Franklin. Um, and increasingly so because, you know, uh, of, of the, I think the expectations that we all had that Clifford would take the next step. And it's like here in his last game, he finally played the game that we've always wanted to see from him. And it was very rewarding to watch. And I, I do feel good for him. You know, he's a guy of high character, a high quality leader, and to have a, a performance before he left that backs it up. It, it's, it was really satisfying to see. And, um, you know, that, the walk off, you know, sort of uh, curtain call kind of moment for him, um, you know, because of the they were winning so, you know, the game was so much in hand that they could, um, Franklin could literally pull him off and let the entire crowd say goodbye to him for his leadership over the years. I, that was a really special moment, I thought. Yeah, I mean, Andy, when you when you consider the fact that, like, earlier this season, Sean was getting booed at Beaver Stadium, which, right. uh, you know, PJ right. Mustafer mentioned uh, uh, to reporters after the Rose Bowl game, he said, he said, I've never seen something like that. So, so to go from that to, like, a full-blown standing ovation where, you know, the first player he saw coming off the field was his brother telling him he loves him. Like, you know, you just... You just can't write a, a script. As Franklin said, he, he, I could not have writ, wrote a script any better for Sean Clifford to be offensive MVP coming off the field like that. Uh, you know, just super happy for the guy. And by the way, you know, that game was was not just Sean Clifford's best game. That might have been the Penn State team's best game of the year from a four-quarter, three-phase, you know, preparation, coaching, all of it. Like it may have it been was a full the game. most complete. It was a full game, game performance. Four against quarters a top, against a top ten team, and we were a team searching for a a um, you know a statement game, a signature win. This was all of that. 
all of it and then some so so cathartic as a fan so cathartic i'm sure as a coach as a player um as anyone connected to this team it was probably just such a relief a relief but one thing that i will say is um a lot of players are saying after this game for as good as you know that felt they know that's that this game um like the, the way this season ended is definitely not the way that they wanted the season to go so they're still hungry while being happy with this win i like that being hungry because uh, you know we hope for better things from a season perspective uh from penn state in the years ahead but this was very tantalizing you, you know i we said this was sean clifford's best game i I think it's probably not only Penn State's best game of the season. It may be James Franklin's best game of his coaching career in terms of being a full game, total performance, the the game plan, the 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 preparation, yeah. having the team. Yeah, maybe ready not the biggest win, the, but as what you're saying, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, the Ohio State win at home in 2016 is is easily the biggest win of Franklin's career. Probably the Michigan game that in 2017 is right up there in terms of big wins. But in terms of uh, the best four-quarter, 60-minute games played by a James Franklin yeah. team, this, yep. to me, is the best I've ever seen a Franklin team play from start to finish. Um, and, it, and it wasn't just you know, players and execution, but it was game planning and game coaching decisions, all that kind of stuff. Like to me, this is right up there with the best game of uh, James Franklin's Penn State career. Yeah, I mean, when you think about the 2016 team, yeah, it was some of our best wins and or most exciting games. But dude, we were quote unquote a second half team, and in, and 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 even in the <laughs> even in the the Big Ten championship game, we needed like big time performance to come back in that game. Uh, it was not a complete game from, from a four quarter standpoint standpoint. So yes, I totally agree. They came out and they executed a game plan. They made in game adjustments, not just in the first half, but in the second half as well. It was a, honestly, it was, it was a lot of fun to, to witness. And as you mentioned to me via text, in fact, I'll let you tell now, what did dad tell you about this game? Yeah, he said that it was like the old days, is how he put it, like uh, the good old days, um, back in like the best teams of the Joe Paterno era, where the team was dominant, you know, from the beginning, they were prepared expected they, to win. They expected to win, like, not just that we expected them to win as fans, but that they themselves right. came right. out expecting right. to win that sort of confidence. And um, I think the fa- I, think, I think the players in the game, like leading up to the game uh, and the way that they were talking to the media, I think they, ex- they had a different mindset. They ex- themselves expected to win. They, I think that they, they knew that this was a game they needed to make a statement in to cap their careers, to send it. And they even mentioned like sending this team off on the right foot into the offseason for next year. Cause some of these guys, um, and namely juice Scruggs, who, who mentioned this a, a couple of different times, they think, this team could make the playoff and even, you know, play for a national title this year. Yeah, well, that's a, a nice little uh, advertisement <laughs> for our next episode when we will be talking about what to expect for next year. Sure. But, you know, just thinking of the Rose Bowl and just this idea of this is like old school Penn State, like the good old days. Like, you know, one of the things that really struck me is that um, both the offense and the defense looked energized throughout the whole game. I mean, it was chippy and not in like an uncontrolled, like nasty way, but just like a a competitive and we're not going to let you push us around kind of way. This is a team that executed in the clutch time and again, made the third down plays. I mean, at one point, I think Clifford was five for five on third down. Um, There were big plays that happened on both sides of the ball in key moments. There were no bad penalties that, you know, um, took away the, the, um, you know, momentum of an important drive. It was just, it was an all around full game performance and it was a joy to behold. I mean, it was just wonderful to see. And even though I was really glad to watch this team start to pull away in the end and feel like the sense of relief that, you know, we're not going to have a come from behind wind um, that we had to watch in some other games where say a team like Ohio state couldn't hold on. Like, you know, even as we pulled away, it was like, 
regardless of the win or the way we got the win, just to have such a good, strong, solid game uh, in and of itself was a sort of own kind of joy as a Penn State fan. So I was really glad to see it. Yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta give your hats off to Cam Rising. He he played himself a um, a you know he fought in the game. He didn't have the stats. We'll get into it. He didn't have the stats that uh, Clifford even remotely close. But you would have liked for the opponent to finish the game with their um, you know complete uh you know team intact uh and for the yeah. second year in a row yeah. it was tough to see him leave the game he came out of the the half uh, excuse me came back in the game in street clothes after getting knocked out um it, tough tough for him i know he's got a decision to make going into next year to see where if he's going to pro or coming back but you know i, I don't personally think that takes anything away from penn state's um performance um i no, think not that at all. You, I really think that we had their number. Uh, it definitely may not have been the pull away type game that we did see, but I honestly was feeling very confident in Penn State's ability uh, to to you know dictate the terms of the game as they did the whole yeah. game. Never, never had they never went behind and they they kept the, the pressure on on uh, at every phase. You know, uh, you mentioned to me earlier that going into the game, the hype was all about Utah, you know, yeah, like yeah. all the, the storylines are about Utah and look what they did to USC. And, you know, this is, you know, Kyle Whittingham, he's such a great coach. And, you know, this is their second um, year in a row where they're going to the Rose Bowl and Pac-12 champs and all that kind of stuff. And Penn State, here we are, lowly number three and never got a signature win. Well, you know what? When you actually got into the game, it was all Penn state and the hype went out the window and Penn state showed that, you know, as you said earlier, like we were a quality team. We did get that signature win against a really strong opponent. And, you know, cam rising, by the way, was the player that everyone was talking about. You know, he was the Utah star player and we made him beat us. Even before we knocked him out of the game, we made him beat us and he couldn't, you know, they were playing from behind the whole time. They drew level, you know, on two occasions in the first half, but you know, he was running for his life and he couldn't make his passing game go. In yeah, fact, well, so we intercepted him p- early in the game and I think it really changed, you know, the whole trajectory of the Utah passing game where they felt like they had to keep it on the ground. Uh, yeah, he he made some plays with his legs that that were, as you said, running for his life. Uh, and we were having some tackling issues, but but we didn't let we didn't let any of those tackling issues, you know, account for major major shifts in the game. You know, um, like like you said, we stayed ahead. We stayed ahead as far as the score goes. Um, but we, I think, our rotation of players, you know, essentially kept us fresh throughout the game. That by the second half, we were grinding them down. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, and and I I gotta you know make this um, statement here that I think it was um, you know a like a really really big deal that that all the players that that you know could have opted out um, guys that still have decisions to make about their pro careers um, guys like Curtis Jacobs um, Adisa Isaac you know if they decide to go pro they wanted to play in this game um, Nick Tarburton. Brenton Strange, Juice Scruggs, they opted to to enter the NFL draft and they opted to play in this game. And they they were big time players that that like contributed in this game. Juice Scruggs, namely, um, I, I gotta say, you know, being the the, the captain of that, um, you know, the, the leader of the offensive line and and our center, uh, he played. There wasn't a single problem with how he played. While the other team, they had n- numerous snaps going above the both quarterbacks' heads. Uh, not you know, fum- for fumbles, but I think it disrupted their offensive timing and on our offense it w- looked like a a very you know smooth machine by and large and and just having those kinds of leaders you know on the sidelines in the huddles in the plays in the game I think it, it played a huge role in our confidence and, and played a huge role in just um you know the overall vibe of the of, of the team in general going into this game total workman like um you know vibe total workman like um you know execution uh it was just man it was just a strong game from Penn State it was and again, a throwback to the old times where, you know, you just expect to beat the guy across from you when you're a Penn State football team. I want to talk about the um, offense and the defense and some of the specific things that each of those units did, as well as some of the key players and key plays. But before we do, I thought it might be worth talking about just like what were some of those critical uh, plays in the game that turned the tide? Like where, you know, the first half was very, very evenly matched in terms of, uh, you know, the score, uh, you know, and I think there were four straight touchdowns on four straight drives. 
you know, the question is, what is the turning point of the game? And I, I, I think the easy one to point to is when Cam Rising got knocked out. And of course, that was just sort of a, seemed like a regular run of the mill play. He was, he was scrambling. And instead of going down, he, you know, he basically slid. ran himself into three different players who all tackled him at the same time. You know, that was a turning point, but I think already the game was starting to shift. And, and I'm wondering, like, what would you say are, you know, the, the turning point moments in the game that, uh, that really made the difference outside of that cam rising uh, play where he got knocked out. Yeah, Andy, I, w- I wasn't in the huddle. I wasn't, you know, on the sidelines in the game. It's, you know, I don't have a sense for what the team feels was like the turn of the tide in the game really. Um, But from, you know, I was in the stadium and from my uh, just vibe of being in the stadium, it was all about how we came out in the second half and, you know, yeah. uh, uh, you know, um, they won the coin toss and they deferred to the second half, which, by the way, Franklin likes taking the ball to start. So I, I think that kind of worked to his favor. Um, but, um, you know, so so we get the ball or sorry, we they get the ball and our defense has to go out there. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, we, we, we need to stop. We need to set the tone. And guess what? Utah did their first trick play of the game, and it was like a an, like a, a reverse pass that was going to go to the you know back to Cam Rising the quarterback, and I think it was the the, the uh, number seventeen wide receiver Valet, and I think he telegraphed what where he was going to go to the ball way too early in the play. Uh, he didn't sell that he was going to like run you know do a, like a run end around or whatever, uh, and Cam Rising led the left the pocket. And Jair Brown took off immediately to like cover him. He camera cam was never open. And so, uh, because Jair's Brown, uh, Jair Brown covered that so well, Valet, uh, and Valet telegraphed what he was going to do. The defense knew exactly what was going on almost instantaneously. And Jacobs just, you know, t- almost in like Abdul Carter fashion, tomahawked straight towards him and took, took this, um, took the number 17, the receiver down. And I think, and I believe it was on first down that play occurred. They couldn't come back from that. And it was like a nine yard loss. And, and, um, they, you know, Utah ended up going to punt the ball. Um, and, um, they punted it, I think down inside like the, the it's 10 or the five. five yard line. It was they, down they, were, the five. they had a couple really good punts, uh, against us, but it was a, a few plays after that. Um, you know, we had uh, a couple of plays that we ran first, first down wasn't that, that big of a pickup. Second down, not that big of a pickup, but, um, led to a third and two. And to me, like the 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 accumulation of that defensive stand with this next play, which was the 87 yard touchdown yeah. run on third and two for Nick Singleton, and this run, dude, this run was the uh, the third longest run in Rose Bowl history, if I remember correctly, and um, by a true freshman, 87 yards to the house. This kid, first of all, the blocking was superb. Um, true freshman numbers, I think his number is 66, if I remember correctly. Drew Shelton, who's been, uh, been replacing Olu Fashionu, um, he pancaked his guy and Singleton just ran, you know, directly behind him perfectly. And then Britain, uh, or Theo Johnson made a great block himself. And then Singleton did like a, a, like a light stiff arm on the only defender who had a chance to tackle him. And then he was gone. And it reminded me. Not of anything Saquon did in the Rose Bowl, but Kajana Carter's 83-yard touchdown run in the 95 Rose Bowl where he bounced off somebody and then was just gone. And yeah. I I heard, <laughs> this is actually funny, I never knew this. I just learned um, after the game that apparently on that play, every lineman on that 95 Rose Bowl play, uh, Kajana Carter's touchdown run, apparently they blocked all the wrong dudes. And somehow Kajana Carter just, you know, made it happen by magic, uh, you know, uh, whatever. And, um, and, and, you know, <laughs> dude, we, it, it was just a thing of beauty. And, and Fowler is like, in, you know, in the, he's calling the play and he says, uh, Snake Singleton in a foot race. And I'm thinking to myself, who is he in a foot race with? He's no one gone, was close dude. to him. <laughs> the only one close to him was, um, uh, Keandre Lambert Smith, who was just ensuring. <laughs> That he, nobody got to him as he's running down with him. And by the way, I, I was for a split second, I was worried, you know, as as they're running down the field and it was sh- going to be a sure touchdown, KLS points to one of the defenders. And I was like, please don't get flagged for taunting on this play and have it all come back. Oh, oh that would have been just brutal. Um, but it was a thing of beauty. And to me, Andy, honestly, like that set the tone 
both those two drives on defense and offense set the tone for the rest of the game. And and, and at the time, you know, you don't know that we're going to pull away. But again, I think it set the tone for it. Yeah, I, I felt it too. That that sequence is really, really good point. And by the way, um, you know, just looking back, um, I was feeling really, really anxious about that first Utah drive. Did you know that on that first down play where um, you know, they had that trick play, they were on the Penn State 35. Like they yeah. had driven the ball all the way yep. deep, you know, moving into our territory, and we forced pulled them out of field goal range. We we that the the sack put them out of field goal range. They followed up with I think a couple of incomplete passes after that, and then yeah, we forced a punt from the forty four yard line because it was fourth and nineteen. You know, and you know if you're Utah, you got to no, be it feeling was not, good I don't about think it was pinning us deep. Was it? Was it fourth and nineteen? It 19? was fourth and nineteen. Okay, all right. Yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm thinking of another time where it was actually like fourth and four, and they punted as well. well at that time, it was uh, fourth and yeah. nineteen, and they had no other choice but to punt the ball. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, like I was, I was saying that you know if you're Utah, you got got to feel pretty good about dropping it on the five yard line, you know, and uh, pinning us deep. Yeah. And, I'm thinking, oh, geez, we're going to get this ball right back to them, and they're they're already in our territory. And it, as it turns out, you know, Nick Singleton just made them pay, and it was yeah. it was lovely. Um, I think that's real. I agree with you. That's got to be the key sequence of the game. Um, and of course, the very next drive is when uh, Cam Rising got knocked out, and um, at the end of that drive is when there was an interception thrown, <laughs> um, another key defensive play, huge play. But there's another play that I just want to put out there, and I already mentioned it briefly, as a critical play in the game. Maybe not quite the turning of the tide, but it was Kalen King's interception of Cam Rising early in the game. And this interception, um, I think it had the effect of totally dampening the Utah passing game. Because, you know, do, do you remember what Cam Rising's final numbers were before he got knocked out? They were under 100 yards passing. Yeah, he was not having a good statistical day through the air at all. No. I think his his QBR was inflated because of, of the type of running he was doing. Um, but yeah, he was like, it, it was subpar. And Andy, by the way, Penn State has um, the like number two opposing QBR defense in the country. And that's before the Rose Bowl game. Before. I'll be honest. I don't really know what QBR even means. I know it's some sort of like next gen stat. I have no idea, you know, but like these stats, I understand. All right. We held cam rising to eight completions on 21 attempts, 95 yards passing. That's a 35, excuse me, 38% completion rate with one touchdown and one interception <laughs> and one interception. I mean, that Kalen King interception was, absolutely maybe one of the best interception plays I've seen from a, from an athletic standpoint, you know? Absolutely. I mean, the, the Kalen King interception, like that was the first time they really put a deep ball out there. They were testing our defense. They're trying to stretch uh, the field and, you know, kind of get us, you know, uh, we were focused on bottling up their run game and they were trying to basically uh, loosen up our defense and, when Kalen King made that interception, not only did it um, flip the field uh, and give us a chance to, you know, uh, keep one of their drives from getting any traction, but I think it really seriously put a lid on their passing game and, you know, totally limited their ability to uh, have an effective balanced offense from, from there on out. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Um, you know, with Joe Reporter Jr. sitting out, I wonder if that was like what their offensive game plan was thinking. Hey, maybe we can exploit these guys. But it's not like it was any secret that Kalen King, you know, he he's a he's a good player, if not a great player. I mean, even you know, Kirk Herbstreit mentioned this guy's got elite ball skills. I think he, what he was the second in the nation in passes defended. You know, um, so he's he's a stud he's a stud essentially and Johnny Dixon uh you know he he may have missed a couple plays but he also played very well i think i think our cornerbacks played very well i think the only time we we kind of saw a dip in coverage um execution and consistency is when Kalen King both 
Johnny Dixon and Kalen King missed a, a series or two or a couple plays or two. Um, they got nicked up but came back in. Um, and, uh, you know, prior wide receiver, you know, he, uh, number eight, Marquise Wilson, or is it Marquise Wilson? Yeah, yep. I think that's his name. Um, he he had to come in on a few plays and had to cover some of their better wide receivers. And the big play that we gave up in the pass game at the end of the first half that led to their second touchdown, he kind of got exploited. He fell down, and you know uh, our safety was slightly out of position. And fortunately, Zachy Wheatley on that play was able to come in and make the tackle and save a would-be long touchdown play. Um, otherwise, they would have had a, a, an explosive long touchdown play of their own to match some of ours that came on later in the game. But I think. By and large, the, the the coverage was great in the game. The plays, the play in the back end was great. Um, Jair Brown was an all over the field in the game, man. Uh, you got to hand it to the defense. They came in and, and played tight football, and then you know I think they were trying really hard to just get pressure with the um, the front four in the first half of the game because we didn't get our first sack until the like, I think the final play of the first half when they they sacked Cam Rising, um, and then I think that's when you know our defense, uh, you know Manny Diaz decided, hey, all right, time to open it up, and in the second half they started bringing extra pressure from different. Um, you know, areas on the field that weren't just from the front four. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, we really, we really um, tightened the screws in the second half. I mean, overall, our defensive numbers were really, really impressive. Uh, six sacks on the day, nine tackles for lock for loss, two interceptions. Um, I already mentioned limiting uh, Cam Rising, but overall, outside of the the touchdown drive in garbage time, um, garbage where they time. had. Uh, where they had uh, 70 yards passing. Um, all of our second stringers were in. Outside of that um, one drive, uh, we held the team total to 137 yards passing on the day. Uh, now, we did allow 184 yards on the ground, which is not great, but it was a, below Utah's season average of 270 yards per game. Um and yeah, we were flying all over the field, and um, I think I think we really it was fun to watch our defense play, and especially after Cam Rising got knocked out, we smelled blood in the water, and it was it was just really really exciting. Yeah, Andy, to call that our second string defense and that garbage time touchdown in the final what two and a half minutes of the game, three minutes of the game, uh, I would say that was more of our third and fourth and fifth string defense back there. Those guys' jerseys were all clean, uh, walking onto the field. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was a it was a sloppy game in the second half of the third quarter into the fourth quarter. So all those jerseys were completely fresh white. Um, you know, and, and it was a total garbage touchdown that really had no consequence whatsoever in the game. They didn't even go for two <laughs> to to try and cut the cut the score at all. So um, you got hats off to Manny Diaz. Hats off to this defense. Total perform total complete performance from a defense. Um, and special teams too. The, the, you know, not to say nothing of the offense at this juncture. Uh, it was just a total team performance from that defense. And uh, gosh, man, um, you know, Jacobs st stood out. Jair Brown stood out. Chop Robinson stood out. There was just a lot of really good play coming from all over the field. Yeah, and um, you know, there are some things to mention about special teams, but I did want to go back and just touch on some of what the offense did um, outside of uh, some of those key plays. Um, like we had said, this is Clifford's best game of his career. You mentioned the QBR being his QBR being the best, but um, you know, compared to Cam Rising, you know, whose stats I just mentioned, Clifford, on the other hand, was 16 of 22. That's a 73% completion rate. That's well above his season average. He threw two touchdowns, zero interceptions. By the way, no turnovers on the day for the offense at all. Um, we had five touchdown drives on the day to five punts. And um, you know, it was a really, really balanced attack. Um, Clifford's 279 yards passing were balanced against 170 yards rushing. Um, Singleton's big long run of uh, 87 yards get, gave him, um, with another six carries, a uh, total of 120 yards on seven carries on the day, um, which gives us our sixth game with a hundred yard rusher, by the way. So, you know, it, wow. was, it was an overall really, really special offensive performance. Um, about the receiving, I thought it was interesting. And we were talking a little bit about this before we pressed record, you know, the tight ends had two important and really good catches, but it was really the receivers that um, kind of took the lead on the receiving 
uh, you know, both Trey Wallace and especially Keandre Lambert Smith had really, really important plays in the receiving game and, and none bigger than of course the, um, 88 yard, uh, touchdown catch by Keandre Lambert Smith, which, um, did we mention yet? We today haven't mentioned that it, it yet. The, we haven't mentioned it the yet. The longest reception in Rose Bowl history. And it's hard to, to mention everything all at once. There's so much to mention about this game. <laughs> you can't mention it all, all at once. You know, there's so many cool things that happen in this game. Like we're trying to get to all of it, you know, and it's, you know, how you know, we're an hour in here and, and we're just getting to this, to this, this touchdown play. Yeah. I mean, K- KLS one, as I've been calling him during the Rose bowl to, to my buddies. Uh, yeah. Breakout performance. And T- Tinsley led the team with six receptions in his final game. Um, you know, so it, it, you know, our D our tight end group was second in the nation in touchdown catches with 13. Um, second only to, by the way, Utah's tight end group, <laughs> just a little a fun <laughs> little tidbit there. Um, so I actually expected the tight end group to have, you know, carry this, this team in this game. And I don't know, like a great game plan by your to, to shift that, you know, uh, and, and squeeze everything out of Clifford in this game, passing to his receivers, throwing with confidence to his receivers too. And I think that's something that we haven't seen all season was Clifford throwing to his receivers in confidence, uh, de- decisively passing to his wide receivers is not something that we saw a lot of this year. And it was, basically like the highlight of our offensive performance because you know for as for as amazing as it was to see um singleton have that 87 yard touchdown run dude only had seven carries uh you know uh, um K- uh Katron allen had 11 carries but only 39 yards so so our running backs weren't featured in this um game plan the way that you know i think they would have liked because they obviously they i think they tried to get the running game going in in in, like early on but really they discovered that it was the passing game that was um gonna work because they made an in-game adjustment to go away from the run as much and really you know start passing to the receivers because they were playing you know one safety high or like cover zero with these what um your uh franklin and yours were saying were these bare fronts so they were like stacking the box and kind of just leaving themselves vulnerable on the back end and Yersich and Clifford were like all right if you're going to do this to us we're going to we're going to take advantage of it and i think it also did work to our advantage on that long touchdown run by Singleton as well that they had no one in the back ready to like you know there's no safety back there ready to play safety and you know save a touchdown run um so i think that yeah i think maybe um you know, Kyle Whittingham may have decided to run the wrong defense against us, or we just decided to make the correct in-game adjustments to uh, take advantage of what they were showing for us. Yeah, and I like what you said about um, Clifford throwing with confidence to his wide receivers. And and what we saw this game, I think more than we saw in most other games, is that the the mid-level throws, you know, like yeah. the 15 to 25-yard throws, and Clifford was throwing um, balls that were just on a dime. They yeah. were precision Dude, throws seriously. in stride. You know, take away the Keandre Lambert-Smith long touchdown. Um, there were still a ton of throws that were just like, on the money, you know, layered over uh, defenders and between defenders, and they were just right, precise throws, and and it was like a dagger each time. The you pass know? to Tyler Warren was on the money for a big play. The pass to Theo Johnson for I think it was uh, twenty eight yards. Dude, he split the D perfectly. It was a laser, and you know their safety couldn't make a play on it, and he was right there. They had guys, you know, crashing um, that whole area where Clifford was throwing into a tight window. It was impressive, and you know, to to highlight that um, that KLS uh, long eighty eight yard touchdown pass, and which to reiterate the longest uh, in the Rose Bowl history, uh, Clifford masterfully. Um, faked out the defense on that play with his little pump fake uh, to into the flat to Tinsley. Tinsley, that was a perfectly designed play. And they knew what they were doing. Apparently, the, it, the, uh, Yursich's little um, you know game plan sheet that he keeps with him that 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 was on a second down play, I think, um, and that was not a play that he had drawn up for a second down um, execution of that play. So they kind of went off script to run that play in that, 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 you know, in that way. Um, and dude, I, have we ever seen this whole season Clifford throw a ball as beautiful as that where KLS in stride ran under it, 
I don't know, man. Like we take, don't, don't take that play for granted in any way. Clifford has not looked sharp in downfield passing all season. In fact, I think at one point, if not still, um, going into this game, he was the worst statistical downfield passer in college football. So hats off to Clifford. Uh, I will say what one thing that's really cool about that, you know, this, this performance for Clifford and that touchdown pass for Clifford. Clifford started his career, uh, in his red shirt season. I, I'm saying like, like, um, so, like, when Trace McSorley was still on the team, Clifford came in, and I forget which game it was. I don't know if it was Idaho or whoever it was. But Clifford came in and threw that 95-yard touchdown pass, which was the longest play in Penn State. Sorry, the longest touchdown pass in Penn State history. So that was his first game action for Penn State. And so he started his career with the longest pass play in Penn State history and finished his career with the longest pass play in Rose Bowl history. That's, I mean, <laughs> if you're a quarterback playing college football, how many people can, you know, talk about those kinds of, you know, feats and, and you know, just amazing stats to begin and end your career? It's pretty incredible. Quite a bookend. And, you know, I, I do think um, in a lot of ways, this definitely shifts a little bit the remembrance of Sean Clifford in the lore, yeah. you know, yeah. the, the way people will think about his career. Um, it didn't go out with a whimper. It went out with a bang and it, it kind of in some ways was a vindication, you know, it's not a national championship, but it is a Rose bowl win against a top 10 team when he played a Pac-12 champion, you know, played essentially a flawless game. And, um, you know, puts into context and actually kind of helps to round out, like he's gotten all these records in terms of just longevity, you know, but this is a real accomplishment for him and shows what he was capable of as a competitor. Yeah. And even if you pull out, uh, those two long touchdown plays, we have those other two of their other, um, second half. I oh, know. Uh, I forget which halves these occurred in, but it was uh, our first touchdown and our last touchdown. Our first touchdown and our last touchdown were, uh, 95 and 94 yard touchdown drives, which actually end up being the third. Wait, what? You're shaking your head. No, no. It was our middle two. I thought oh. you were going to say our middle two oh, touchdowns okay. were the 95 and 94. <laughs> okay, no. okay. Sorry. Well, regardless, two of our touchdown drives were 95 and 94 yards, and those end up being the third and fourth longest touchdown drives in Rose Bowl history. So, again, complete performance. It wasn't just explosive plays. We also played, like, you know, just – a strong game in general. We had, this game had it all for Penn State. It had a, had a little bit of flavor of every kind of style of, of of football that this team can play. I thought you were going to be talking about the touchdowns out of the T formation, oh, which was well, our first and last touchdown. Real quick, right which now, is as old school as <laughs> yeah, you can get. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, you would have seen that maybe in the nineteen twenty three Rose Bowl right. instead of the twenty twenty three Rose Bowl. And, Andy, and that's it. That just goes to show you that you know your sitch is. Uh, they said your sitch is one of uh, just a handful, if not only a couple, uh, offensive coordinators that are running that formation in college football this season, and and it's just like. Oh, it's a cool wrinkle to be running. Uh, and by the way, it's been working for us. We ran, we got two touchdowns, one for uh, Singleton and one for Katron on, on that uh, play. Uh, that's out of that formation. And on the first one, I actually have a recording right down the line from, from you know where they're running that play. And I'm recording it. And it's just like, we go nuts on that first touchdown. It was just so much fun to be there. It was so much fun to be a Penn State fan. And and I, I got to wonder, is this, is this formation going to carry with us to next season? And if it does, are they going to find new wrinkles to run out of that formation? You know, we, we got Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren coming back, allegedly, as, as of this recording at least. Um, you know, are they going to like find new wrinkles to run passing-wise out of that formation? We'll see. Yeah, you know, we were talking just a moment ago about Sean Clifford's legacy and, you know, how this Rose Bowl win reshapes his legacy, how this Rose Bowl win reshapes, you know, the team's uh, accomplishments for um, this season. But it does leave open some really tantalizing possibilities for next season, which just so happens to be what we're going to be talking about 
in our next episode, which will be our last episode of this Blue and White Brothers season. So why don't we go ahead and, and you know, wrap up there for the day. Um, just feeling great about this Rose Bowl win. Tom, what's your just final takeaway? What do you go, what's your emotional takeaway from this particular game going to be as we uh, head into the offseason? How, how does this leaving you inside? What is this leaving you with as a lifelong Penn State fan? Well, I got to say, you know, being at the last Rose Bowl that Penn State played in, winning the game as a fan is is real sweet. It's real sweet to, to, <laughs> to be there as a Penn State fan, to witness a Penn State win uh, in, in the Rose Bowl. I, I just, I, you can't overstate how you know, good that makes you feel. But from a just a, you know, a Penn State football standpoint, you know, winning this game could it really, it could mean everything. I mean, look at Utah. Utah lost last year and then couldn't, you know, really get, they, they started this season, um, against Florida and, and they, they, they lost kind of in a deflated fashion. And then they ended up losing three regular season games in, in games they could have won. Uh, and I just feel like, you know, Winning sends you into the offseason with a, a, a different sense of like, we got to build off this, you know, and and looking at the 2017 Rose Bowl where Penn State lost to USC, I got to I got to wonder, does losing that game, if we had won that game, how much different would it been? Would it have been for us uh, confidence wise going into next season? Would we have won more? Who's to say? But that's what I wonder about this team going into next year. Is it the springboard we all want it to be? And that's what we're going to talk about in our next episode. What does next year look like from this vantage point? Um, until then, uh, thank you guys for listening. Thanks for joining with us um, as we talked about this Rose Bowl uh, victory. It was a great victory. Penn State, the winner, 35-21 to 21 in the 2023 Rose Bowl. That'll do it for this episode, our second to last episode of the season. Uh, we'll catch you on the next episode looking at 2023. And until then, bro, it always starts with I love you. And it ends with I love you. We are Penn State. Thanks for listening to the Blue and White Brothers. Join us next time for another great episode about Penn State football. Want to make sure you don't miss an episode? Be sure to hit subscribe before you go. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't hesitate to give us a five-star review with overwhelming words of adulation and praise. 